This is Marketing Smarts, a podcast committed to cutting through all the confusing marketing BS so you can actually understand how to take action and change your business today. Welcome to Marketing Smarts. I am Ann Candido. And I am April Martini. And today we're going to talk about how to leverage partners to create content that drives your brand. As we talked in our episode, Four Tips for Using Influencers Effectively, one of the ways to drive credible reach and stretch your equity is by leveraging influencers and partners who already have relationships with the consumer you want to tap into. And while influencers tend to be individuals, partners are generally more commercial in nature. Both target a like-minded segment of people, they just do it at a different scale. So partners tend to operate on multiple channels while influencers tend to have one primary one. They might have a second one, but it's generally one primary one. Partner categories include sports properties like the NFL, NBA, or even individual sports teams. They can also include events like festivals, marathons, restaurant week, or South by Southwest, or even philanthropic organizations like the World Wildlife Fund or United Way. And finally, industry like American Academy of Dermatology or American Marketing Association. And just to give you a couple of examples to root the conversation in what branded content looks like really specifically, we have a couple here. So the first one would be Taco Bell's Steal a Base, Steal a Taco campaign. That was brought back during last year's World Series where Taco Bell fans had a period of time, I think it was you know a few hours after the first base was stolen in the World Series, they could use a code on the Taco Bell app and claim a free taco or steal a taco. Another one is Pantene being the official hair care partner of Coachella Valley Music and Arts Festival. And here they hosted an immersive experience and launched a capsule collection so that everyone could reveal their personality through their hair. So tapping into the spirit of the festival with the ability to make your hair really stand out as you. And we use big campaign examples so you can easily find and research them. But all can be scaled down to your business size and budget because the principles are all the same. And to help us discuss these principles is a very special guest and expert in this area, Samantha Baer of Temper Sports and Entertainment, where she is the digital partnerships manager for the NFL team, the Carolina Panthers. Hey, Sam. Hi there. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here and talk about, you know, this topic is something that I'm really passionate about. Um, And, you know, Anne, you and I go way back and have had um, a lot of fun uh, creating branded content together. So excited to kind of go down memory lane a little bit as well. (laughs) That's the best part of the show. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, yes, yes. yes, They have. They know where some of my, um, the dead bodies are buried for sure. So um, that should be very interesting. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So let's jump into the four principles for leveraging partners to create content that drives your brand. All right. And the first principle There needs to be a shared philosophy, belief, goal, something tangible that authentically connects you to the partner. And this is so critically important because in order for your partner to truly work as an extension of your brand, there really needs to be something in common that connects you. So, for example, as you guys know, I worked on the Tide brand. No big surprise there. Um, And Tide is all about getting out tough stains. So it would make sense that we would partner with the NFL whose players create tough stains. That's where we had a connection, right? Or Head & Shoulders, Olay, and Gillette's partnership with the dermatology community who can work as credible advocates for the technology in these products and the way they treat and protect the skin. 
So you have that credible partner that's able to advocate for your products and then in so doing is able then to uh, drive credibility for those products in that specific area, especially where consumers are having questions. But the key here is your consumers cannot think too hard or you will lose them. So if there isn't a really obvious connection and your consumers left like kind of scratching their head going, why is this brand doing this with this partner? They're not going to even think beyond that. They're just going to dismiss it. And keep in mind that your whole objective is to boost credibility and authority. So if you can't get people to rectify why you're even playing there, you're not even going to get to that stage. And Sam, I know you have a ton of examples and experience (laughs) that really emphasizes that point. Can you share that? Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know... And you, you really kind of hit the nail on the head. Consumers need to be able to understand the why. Why is this, this connection happening? Why are they seeing this content? Um, and it really goes down to looking at what success looks like. So, you know, you pick a partner that makes sense for your brand, but it also makes sense for who you're trying to reach and how you're going to reach them. So, you know, I think that that to me is something that we talk about a lot is is starting out with what's the potential with this audience, right? So looking at, for instance, Panthers fans, what can you provide as a partner that will work hard for your brand and the Carolina Panthers brand? So I think that's something that we, again, we talk about a lot and and we talk about how this partnership might achieve something different than let's say, you know, your other examples of, you know, Coachella or, or even a local restaurant week or local event, each partnership should have a really focused um, ROI that you're working against. Um, And it should be different uh, for each partnership. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a really, really good point. Um, And just for context, we always like to give examples. And so I've actually come up with a bad one for today, (laughs) one that doesn't actually work, Uh, just to counter all the good ones that you guys put out there. So... You know, most of you listening probably know Arby's, roast beef sandwiches, and Warby Parker, the eyeglass company. Well, they decided a few years ago to do an April Fool's joke that they were now in partnership with each other because Warby, if you take off the W, is Arby's. Oh, jeez. And that was literally essentially it from a joke standpoint. So. You just talked about the things like needing to have a shared philosophy, a shared consumer audience, the consumer understanding. I mean, I'm not a huge Arby's fan, but I am a huge Warby Parker fan. And so speaking from that perspective, right, they target millennials. Arby's targets like, you know, the older population. Let's just say they've been around for 53 years and they target more people in the red states. Let's just leave it at that. So really not, you know, you're speaking millennial target versus this older demographic, different political views and different values. And then when you think about the Warby Parker brand, it's all about wit and intelligence and being informative, playful, delightful. And what they state that they are not is trite or sarcastic. And so when you just think through the lenses of these two things, right, I think the point here is don't just take the easy face value thing that's out there, but really to embody the points that were made on the positive side with examples. I thought this one was a really good one to bring forth and say, yeah, this is when it goes really wrong. Yeah. And I think, Sam, you could attest to the fact that that happens in the sports world a lot, too, when people 
just kind of glam onto a specific asset without necessarily thinking about how that asset really connects back to how their brand shows up. Yeah. And I think, you know, Anne, I feel like this is something that we talked about and we used as an example. This is from years ago, but I remember McDonald's tried to um, utilize the partnership to talk about tailgating and tail. So pick up oh, McDonald's yeah. oh, and tailgate with McDonald's. That was a nightmare. <laughs> and it was, oh my gosh, I can't believe people were sitting in a room and said, that's a great idea. I think you learn a lot from the, the epic fails that you mm-hmm. see. Um, so I think in that way, it's, you know, it's good to highlight and talk about, you know, things that didn't work because I think that really even highlights even more what we're trying to say. Yeah, I think every tailgater in the United States was like up in arms about that. That food just doesn't carry well. Why in the world would you think you'd pick it up and take it to the tailgate? <laughs> well, also, it's missing the, the the core insight, which is tailgaters have a specific fare yeah. that they do on a regular basis. Like, you know, tailgated all the times at the Bengals games, and it was a specific menu yep. all catered to who the team was playing. Yeah, uh, yeah fair. Yeah. So, yeah. yes. And I think what's also interesting is they tried to, from a national level, you know, talk about tailgating as this, you know, as this national thing. But as you know, Anne, in your example of, you know, for the Bengals was that, you know, each team, each fan base has its own traditions. Mm -hmm. So not only were you kind of, you know, trying to lump everyone together, all of these crazy, passionate fans that obviously want to, you know, kill each other on the field, um, <laughs> then you're then you're just totally missing the point that each fan base each has its own traditions, its own, you know, version of tailgating. Yeah, that is exactly right on. Which does lead us nicely into the second principle for leveraging partners to create content that drives your brand is that the message needs to relevantly connect to the partner, but in a way that heroes the brand. Or said another way, such that the partner doesn't overshadow the brand. And this is, again, why it's so important to have the, the message rooted in a shared connection, because in this way, and Sam, you already said this, you're relevantly connecting to that, that consumer base that the partner's already tapped into, but you're going to put your own spin on it to make it memorable and ownable to you. And why this is so important is because it makes sure your branded message is prioritized versus getting lost in the partner's message, which happens a ton. All the time. All the time. So we'll go back. Let me revisit the Pantene and Coachella, for example, okay? So their shared connection there is self-expression. So I think April had pointed that out in the intro. And admittedly, this is a bit of a stretch target for Pantene, which is seen more as a functional brand. But if you think about hair and a Coachella, I'm like, okay, it passes the, okay, does this make sense? Gut check for a consumer standpoint. So you got to get past that, that hurdle. But in order for the message to resonate with this consumer, like, what I said is this is a stretch consumer, a little bit of a fringe consumer for a Pantene. They really needed to root it in the self-expression, but have an ownable message for this space that Pantene can uniquely own. And this became festival hair trends. And this is where a lot of people will just tend to stop. It's like, okay, I got my my shared connection. I got my message. That's all. And then they wonder and Sam, you're going. You can give. I know a lot of examples on this too. They they wonder. Okay, why did this not break through? Why is this not strong enough? Why didn't everybody really engage with this message? And really, what you have to assess is like, okay, is this enough to actually break through the noise? 
And for Pantene, they knew since this was a French consumer that it probably was not going to be. So they also created a capsule collection, like April mentioned, and they had the immersive experience at Coachella. And here's a really, really like key point that I want all of our listeners to take away. Immersive experiences are not just about the people who actually are engaging with the experience itself. It's about all the people they share with. So nobody's doing it for an ROI just on the one-on-one interaction at that specific event or that specific experience. They're doing it because they're hoping that that one person shares with their whole community of hopefully hundreds of people that then become converts. Okay. So I think that is a really important thing to get. And Sam, could you talk a little bit more too about how this plays with you and the conversations you have with your clients to make sure that they get the right message? Absolutely. I think it's it's a huge balance when it comes to content, right? Because, um, you know, I always say that if, if both the folks that I'm talking to who are creating the content and are thinking about our brand as, as the Panthers or Charlotte Football Club are a little upset and the partner is a little upset, I've done my job to find a middle ground. I love that statement. That means. Yeah, that's yeah, really profound. Because I, and, and, and while that's a tough place career-wise to be, because everyone's just, you know, upset with you all the time. Um, <laughs> it really is. <laughs> it really is, you know, satisfying to get to that place. Um, you know, and we've had countless conversations. Um, you know, is there enough tide orange in this content? Mm-hmm. How do we, you know, make sure that the brand is showing up within the first three seconds, you know, thinking about all the, those distribution nuances. So it's not just the idea and the campaign idea, but then how it actually tangibly shows up. Um, and that's where a lot of times, you know, I'm even playing AP, um, associate producer are on, on set, um, for the content that we're creating for our partners, because a lot of times I'm the brand's voice um, in that room compared to the Panthers content team that is tasked with covering the team and engaging Panthers fans. So I have to be the voice of the brand and say, you know, Hey guys, we need to talk about this a little bit more, or, you know, we need to change the graphics, um, to make sure it's showing up. And I think one example that I'm, I'm really proud of that we did this year, obviously with COVID, um, it was really hard to get, fans to, you know, to games and to experience the brand in person. So we were constantly coming, trying to come up with ideas of how to engage fans at home, or even just get them to, you know, give them some kind of experience there. And what we, we worked with American airlines, which obviously got really hard hit Mm -hmm. (laughs) this past year. Um, And their challenge was they wanted to provide that reassurance that it was safe to travel. Right. And so what we did once we were able to allow fans back in our building in a limited capacity, we created this um, campaign called Hometown Homecoming, where we reunited friends, families, and fans around you know something that unites us all, football, right? So we were the proxy in between American Airlines and the Panthers fan group, which is called Roaring Riot. They helped us identify the most passionate fans across the country who have never attended a game. And so we were able to, with American Airlines, fly fans in uh, to see the their first Panthers game at Bank of America Stadium. Um, and we created content of them arriving at the gate, 
um, and, you know, walking through the airport, um, all of that, you know, kind of that lead up. And then we put them on the video board at the game. Um, so it was a video board moment in stadium as well as content all about their story as a fan and coming to um, coming to Charlotte for the first time to see a game. And so that was something that, that was a really big balance, right? Because we wanted to talk about who they are as a fan. We wanted to show, you know, everything at the airport that we could uh, to make fans comfortable with flying again. Um, and it, again, it was just, it was a really kind of, it was one of those campaigns that, and one of those projects that kind of surprised you a little bit um, at, at how well it actually worked. Yeah, I think that's that's amazing. And, and you know, Ann and I have talked before on the show about this past Super Bowl and the fact that we were actually kind of disappointed in the fact that I feel like I'm going to be the naysayer today. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Maybe it must be my mood. <laughs> but in any case, um, made you run to. <laughs> yeah, I was and freaked me out that we were running late. And so I like jogged here from my condo anyway. Um, but I think in this year's Super Bowl, what we saw was this proliferation of really emotional ads that really did didn't have a place, mm -hmm. campaigns that just felt inauthentic to the brands. But I think this proves the point, the point here really nicely that for both brands, which I would say you were both pretty equally hard hit this past year, given the lack of fans allowed in the stadium yeah. and then the, in the airfare. But um, you were able to, I think, capitalize on it in a really nice way to bring in experience to your audience and specifically to fans that hadn't necessarily ever been to a game in order to create a campaign around it that was really authentic and well thought out and applicable to both the situation, the audience, and then each of your brands, given that you were also recovering from a pretty terrible year. And so while we have talked before at length about how you don't create emotional campaigns, content, et cetera, et cetera, just for the sake of doing so, I think you're is a really nice example of something that was very relevant and easy for your audience to connect to really quickly and authentically and probably got you a lot of goodwill points, I would say, across the board, especially for those families where someone in their family were the ones to go to the game. Yeah, absolutely. And and in the way that, you know, we distributed the content on game day um, and we kind of spliced in the the, the moment, the video board moment. Um, so to bring that to fans at home, um, you know, really, we can count all the views and impressions that we want. But what it came down to is that we saw hundreds of comments from mm. fans talking about how great it was um, for American Airlines to do this. One of their hubs is in Charlotte. So mm. that's really kind mm -hmm. of a natural connection with, mm -hmm. with the Panthers. Um, but, you know, I think those comments about, wow, like everyone's wearing masks and look at all the, the, the you know, the hand sanitizing stations and, mm. you know, that they were spread out. I mean, all of those things, um, you know, the brand love was there, but also those really kind of functional um, things that American Airlines wanted fans to take away. So um, it was really, really successful. And again, only something that we could do during this time. Mm -hmm. And that, and that was kind of, you know, one of those moments that we really rose to the occasion and, and, for this unique moment, this unique season that we had. Yeah, and I think what else is brilliant about that is that once you did it, nobody else could reasonably do it and look authentic. Mm -hmm. So you own that whole coming home moment and, and made it a part of the 
your brand as well as American Airlines brand. Um, and that is going to connect in the, the human psyche in a way that it's going to stick there and be memorable for the next time that they're considering who they're going to fly um, and who they feel comfortable flying with. So that, that was just brilliant. All right, moving on. Our next principle for leveraging partners to create content that drives your brand is maximizing exposure on the partners' channels. Yes, on the partners' channels. <laughs> and I say that and I repeat it because we, we run in with clients all the time who do these partnerships and then want to take all the content that they created and just put it on their own channels because it's easier to boost or it, you know, they want to have the all the customization, all the popularity there because um, they want to draw people there. And you can do that, but remember the entire reason you partnered was to get the credible reach with a consumer you're having difficulty reaching. So that's why you have the partner. So April and I would say, you need to fish where the fish are. Mm -hmm. um, so that is the whole point here. Now you can bring them back to your channels, right? So once your partner is leveraging all of that content on their own channels as well, you can bring it back to your channels by including a call to action that engages um, with your platform. So whether it, you know asking them to go watch a video that happens to be in their channels or go like go and um, uh, click on a promo that is housed on your channels, you can do that. But you want to use your partner's channels effectively. Now that all being said, you may not always get what you ask for in this in um, in this arena. Um, and Sam, you can speak to this a, a, a ton. I know um, because you know everybody's social channels are their currency. So sometimes you might pay, have to pay a little extra for this kind of coverage. Sometimes you might have to negotiate it in. It's not always going to be something that the partner offers. Um, so Sam, can you speak a little bit more to how you use um, the content and how you uh, think about how to amplify branded content on your channels? Yeah, absolutely. So like you said, the, you know, I know that you're stressing that you want brands to really maximize the partnerships by utilizing the channels on, on my end. Sometimes they, they want to, you know, 25 tweets right. and it's mm -hmm. like, whoa, 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 what like, and they just want to bake that into an agreement and have it kind of floating, you know, that they can use it for whatever they want to be able to use it for. And I'm like, no, 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 we need to have a plan for what, you know, what that is. Um, while, so while you really need to think distribution first, you have to also think about, you know, what it is. Um, and so, and a lot of times that's kind of where I come in, in the sales process and, you know, there's, you know, we have rate cards, we have all that stuff that, it, that could get very kind of Excel spreadsheety. And <laughs> is that a word? And, yeah, it, is now. <laughs> it is now. <laughs> and, um, so that's where I come in a lot of times and, and try to come up with the ideas of what that content's going to be. So, you know, and it's, I, again, I think I, I love how you said it and that our channels are our currency and especially this past year, mm -hmm. um, you know, that was the only way we could reach fans. We couldn't, we couldn't reach them in person. So, you know, we were protective, but also knowing we needed to open it up, um, a, even a little bit more. I think our, our branded content, um, went from, I think around 9% of our content for the year, it went up to 22%. Oh, wow. So it was a really, really big jump, but you know, it also, we wanted to make sure it made sense. So there's a lot of bad content out there and we wanted to make sure that we still had control over it. 
Um, and it had to feel, you know, when it's, when you talk about which channel the content's going to be on, it has to be in that partner channels voice. And, um, so again, it's, it all comes back to a balance on the quantity <laughs> and the quality and how everything shows up. Um, so really that, again, that's, that's kind of a lot of my role is being protective, um, where I need to be protective of the Panthers and, and Charlotte FC brands, but then also understanding what is going to move the needle for our partners. And so I, again, it's push and pull with both, um, with both those parties. And again, I'm, I'm definitely always caught in the middle. Mm-hmm. All right. So our fourth principle for leveraging partners to create content that drives your brand is make sure your impact isn't diluted by competition. Right now, Competition could be in a couple different uh, lenses here. So competition can be others in your category, which case we talk a lot about exclusivity, and I'm going to get to that in a second, or it's just people who are brands that are competing for your attention within the same space. So for example, when we talked about Pantene and Coachella, we talked about the fact that they were the festival hair trends, um, and that and that was what they were uh, sponsoring as, as a part of being with Coachella. Now, they also probably play for exclusivity, so they, they were the only hair brand there. Uh, that way, they weren't competing on the category basis, and, and they could own the hair space. But they also had to compete with other brands that happened to show up at Coachella, and then may also be attracted to whatever those brands had to offer. So they had to create a a proposition or an experience that was engaging enough to grab that attention there. So you need to think about both so that your impact isn't diluted as a result of participating here. And there's, like I said, a couple of different ways to do this. One, you could buy exclusivity and that can get kind of pricey, um, but you can do that by uh, time bounding the actual engagement. So if your engagement was going out at a specific date, you could say, okay, I'm month before and a month after no competition is going to um to interfere with with my placement there and you would negotiate that in a contract and generally call that a blackout window you do that a lot with talent too so if you're hiring talent you would have a blackout window around your talent so they're not doing pr when you're trying to do pr and all the people that you want to cover your engagement with your talent is already just covered them and then you get like left high and dry so you need to think about how you're going to protect your involvement within the partnership and make sure that that is baked into whatever agreement or contract that you have and Sam, I know that you talk a lot to this about your clients. And, and, and also, you also talk a lot about, okay, making sure that you own not just the one moment too, because this is the other side of it. It's like a lot of people will come in, a lot of clients will come in and they'll just own one moment on one channel and then ignore the moments on the other channel, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, exclusivity, there can be, you talked about in categories. So we have the official, you know, um, airline partner. We have the official, mm-hmm. um, you know, burger of, of the Panthers and, and all of the, that kind of language. Um, but then there's also the, you know, in the moment and who's owning what moments and how that shows up in all the different places. And I think I, and when we first talked about it, I was like, when I came to the Panthers, someone, a, a different brand owned the in-stadium touchdown moment then 
the brand that was on our touchdown gifts on, oh, on social media. And it was, it was a result of, you know, an, a really disconnected sales process. And, um, it just didn't make sense. I was like, guys, mm-hmm. th- that can't happen. Um, because it also makes us look silly as well as, as the partner. Um, and it also, you know, if we want to make this moment really big, so for instance, it's, it's Coca-Cola that, that owns the in-stadium moment. And I can't believe we let the ribbon turn red, which in Panther blue country, uh, that was a big <laughs> compromise. Wow. Talk about, you know, but talk about compromise and how brands show up and, you know, I, big brands really care about color and you taught yes. me that. Yes. Yes, they do. <laughs> so, you know, that's, so anyway, that was just something that I was like, no, they need to have the touchdown gifts as well. And how do we then, you know, sell them on that strategy as well. So we also had to go to the partner and say, Hey, we want to give you this obviously not for free. Um, and here's the value of owning that moment on multiple channels versus just one. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think that that is so critically important. I mean, Anne talks all the time about if you, if you don't ask, then the answer is going to be no. And really being mm-hmm. thoughtful about what you're asking for and why. And I think sports specifically, but any kind of major event, you know, the goal of the event or the game or the whatever is to sell out all of the adverti- advertising and content um, options, right? And so I would imagine that without someone looking at things through the brand lens, which, you know, is a lot of what you provide, Sam, was just, you know, selling that package and someone thought, oh, that was cool for our brand. So we'll go ahead and do that. And I think that's how things get really, really disjointed. And to, you know, the point of this about making sure that you're not diluted by the competition, I mean... I would say that you're in a unique position to do this on both sides, but sometimes there's an absence of that. And so for both the credibility of your brand, if you're a brand listening or your credibility as a partner, if you're a partner listening, you've got to make sure that you keep your best interest at heart because no one's going to look out for you the way that you will. And Mm -hmm. so I think you just have to be aware of everything that's going on in the space, especially when it's a major event. And hopefully we'll get back to full major events sometime in the near future, because there are so many brands and so many different touch points and so many different places to produce and put forth content. Yeah, I think that is a really, really good point. And I think it's definitely one that uh, people need to internalize it because your ROI depends on it. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, and, and you say this all the time, Sam, it's like, this is how people lose their ROI when they just think about everything in a silo, right? Where they just think about like that one moment. Don't think about how that's going to connect or, or potentially be perceived by the fan or the consumer in the context of the whole entire moment, right? Mm-hmm. So it's like you kind of right. see it, you buy a tree and then you forget about the forest, I like that. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, in Carolina, you have all those pine trees. So here we go. I was trying to keep in the theme. <laughs> we do. <laughs> Are you craving a deeper dive immersion into the topics on our podcast? Then you will appreciate our virtual consultancy. Located on the shop page of our website, forthright-people.com, you can now download our digital coaching modules on vigilant leadership, culture building, and social strategy. For the cost of a book, you will get diagnostic tools and exercises to assess your current state and development tools to quickly and intentionally improve your proficiency. 
These are quick yet effective ways to improve your marketing savvy today. Check it out and let us know other topics you would like us to go deep on. So moving on, our next segment is called Into Trenches, and this is where we give the real-world examples. Obviously, with Sam here, we're going to be talking a lot of football and and, and these questions in the context of what she experiences uh, as, as being the digital lead on, uh, for the Carolina Panthers. But keep in mind, you guys, that these are principles that apply to any business in any industry. It's just to take what we say and think about how it impacts your specific business, your specific industry. It doesn't matter what your size is. It doesn't matter how long you've been in business. These all translate. All right. So we're going to start with the first in the trenches question. Isn't it better to show up in unexpected places in order to be disruptive? Doesn't that create more attention? And this is one of my very favorite questions because <laughs> this one just infuriates me. <laughs> We've talked about this a couple of times in a couple of different contexts. And, and it, it's definitely a buzzword, like being disruptive, quote unquote, right? And that's fine if your brand equity supports being disruptive. So if you're Richard Branson, if you're Elon Musk, if you're Apple, yes, then just being disruptive tends to make sense. And people are going to see those and they're going to respect them because that's what you guys do. It passes that consumer gut check we talked about. Um, but again, if your brand isn't known for being disruptive, then they're going to ha- have to think too hard and they're going to dismiss it. So <laughs> what brands try to do to try to overcome this, and and Sam will attest to this one, um, how much I loved when we talked about doing stunts. Because, <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, stunt to me is a four-letter, five-letter word. Um, I, I, I hated them every time somebody brought them up because what they did more often than not was create a moment, true, but the brand was lost. It's always always lost unless it's intrinsically tied to your brand equity. All right. And so I'll give you an example about this one. This wasn't happened to be mine, but it actually happened to be one of my colleagues in arms who did this one. So if you guys remember, this was years ago, but it still stands as a as a as a record and people still talk about it. But there was a, a guy named Lou Akins who is a um, free jumper and he set a world record of a twenty five thousand foot skydive without a parachute or a wingsuit. Can anybody remember what brand that was who sponsored that? <laughs> yeah, um, exactly. So um, it was actually Stride Gum. Um, I had to Google it just to be totally honest to remind myself of the coverage. And out of the 10 articles I browsed through covering the event, only one mentioned the brand, and that was a press release. All right. So even and he, even though he was wearing the logo actually on his suit, <laughs> nobody picked that up because it was so inconsequential in the context of the stunt, right? So this is a really important thing to consider that just being disruptive without context and without it leading to your brand equity is usually a moment in time that will people will know, but they might not necessarily pull out your brand. Sam, I know you have examples of this. Yeah, I think, you know, you can be stunty, but it needs to be clever, right? Um, and that's, and, and it needs to be clever in the way that the brand is tied to it. So, you know, what does gum have to do with, you know, jumping, you know, uh, basically jumping out of a plane without anything. Um, and so that, what is, what connection is that? Whereas, you know, we did a smaller, on a smaller scale, um, it was, it was pretty stunty, but it wasn't, you know, a huge thing like that. We, you know, when we found out we weren't going to have fans in the stadium, 
we decided, you know, we felt like for the first time, you know, we're, we're a pretty young franchise. We're only about 20, 26 years old. I think we're going into our 27th season. So we have had people who have been to every game at Bank of America Stadium. And this is going to be the Hmm. first time that they wouldn't be able Hmm. to attend in person. Hmm. And so going and I, you know, I racked my brain on, you know, this is a this is a key insight. This is something that we need to latch on to. So worked with our our friends in ticketing and we identified people who had these streaks. Right. So we worked with um, we worked to identify the fans that have been to every single game. And for the first time, they wouldn't be able to go. And we created a way to keep their streak alive. And so I know that you saw a lot of fan cutouts this year everywhere. You saw just cardboard. I mean, the cardboard industry must Mm -hmm. have been going crazy. (laughs) (laughs) But we wanted to do it in a different way. And so what we did is we just did photos of the people that, that had these streaks so they could keep their streak alive. Um, and we partnered with Bud Light to do it. And it, it made sense from the standpoint of we sent them a Bud Light. They took a picture of themselves celebrating, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. like they would be celebrating a moment with the Bud Light in their hand. And that's what the that's what the cutout was. And, um, you know, felt like it was a really, again, unique unique spin on a stunt, uh, because, you know, we put it all over social media. We solicited people to tell us about their streaks and we were able to then not only reward the people who had kept the amazing streak of all, you know, 25, 26 seasons. Um, but we were able to also reward fans with similar streaks, um, or smaller scale streaks from a social media perspective. So it was, you know, again, a stunt, but it made sense. And it was, and it had a real reason behind it. And the connection to the brand was, you know, obviously it showed up visually, Bud Light also owns kind of the, the way that we think about their brand in context with ours is they help us celebrate the biggest moments. Mm -hmm. And so that was, that was a big moment where we all wanted to be able to celebrate the start of the season, but had to do it in a unique way. Yeah, I think that's super smart. And I think that's another example of, you know, you use the word insight and I, it's another one of the words that I love and hate equally because I think people call things (laughs) insights that may or may not actually Mm -hmm. be. And I like to say a lot of them are observations, but I think what you found there was a true insight. And I think it's also something that, again, only you could own because being a younger franchise, I have to imagine that most football teams just are eliminated right off the bat because mm-hmm. longevity of our lifespans <laughs> eliminates people exactly. being a, exactly. or just the commitment to that many years. And so I think that is a really good uh, way to celebrate them. But then I think you also did a smart thing in allowing other people that have streaks of different kinds to be included. So therefore, it didn't become a a really exclusive play. I don't know how many of those people there were, but I would imagine that, you know, the numbers of I've been to every game versus I went for four seasons to every game or whatever the case might be. 
probably translates and allows for a bigger set of the fans to be part of it. But I think it's just another example of, yeah, you were disruptive for sure, but what you could have done is just phone it in and sell the cardboard cutouts like every other football franchise in the country. And instead, you decided to take it a step further and say, okay, that's the trend, but what are we going to do to make it uniquely ours? So I, I also loved is is we didn't stop the story there. Um, okay. When we were able to have fans back in the building, we brought those fans mm. and provided them a VIP experience all um, all through the lens of Bud Light. So, you know, we we picked them up um, and we drove them to the stadium. They were able to get, you know, hospitality, obviously, all the Bud Lights that they wanted at the game <laughs> to, a, you know, I think. To, to, until the third quarter, until the fourth quarter. Uh, Let's course. be politically correct but, here <laughs> or regulatory exactly. correct or whatever it is. <laughs> exactly. So, you know, I think that also we were able to continue the story and provide, you know, and put a bow on the experience and, and bring it back. Um, so it wasn't just a one hit, one time stunt. It was, you know, it provided that value um, moving forward again in a unique it, it, it was a unique moment in time because that'll never happen again. And that was something that, again, I'm just really proud of this year that we were able to find those insights that would only be relevant in this crazy year. Yeah. And I'm going to argue that that's not a stunt. Mm. I would argue that that is a very well executed marketing campaign. Um, and you, you leverage a moment in time in a way to, uh, to do that and, and, and unlike anybody else could. So I actually think you took something that could have been stunty, like you said, if only been done in a single moment, but made it a very emotionally driven marketing campaign. So I I like, commend you for that because I, I just want to like fine tune again what a stunt is just so everybody <laughs> everybody knows. And I'll give an example is when we had one of our advertising agencies decide for our new bounce um, execution that they wanted to drop an orange bounce dryer onto a trampoline to see how many times it actually bounced. That is a stunt. <laughs> <laughs> and kind of a dumb Fair. one. Yeah. So I was like, uh, is that going to actually like go through the trampoline? Well, I guess it might. Wouldn't that be cool? <laughs> I know it would not be cool. So yeah. But no, I, I think that was a really fantastic example of how you took something that could have been stunty and really made it a very uh, strong campaign for both the Panthers and for, for Bud Light. So I think that was brilliant. Wow, and getting some kudos from you. I know, I know. <laughs> I know, but I mean, heck, I mean, I think I taught you everything you know, right? So, oh my. <laughs> oh, wow. No, wow. actually, that's so far from the truth. I can't even explain. I can't even say it with a straight face. <laughs> it's not even close to being true. Um, no. But you were you were a harsh critic, but you always... I was. But somehow it always drove us to be better, so... I'm giving you kudos now. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. All right. Let's move on from the love fest. Number two. <laughs> You're just jealous, April. Um, okay. So the second into Trent's question, how do I go about finding a partner? All right, you guys, I'm going to take you through a couple of these steps. I'm going to go through it a tad bit quickly, but we are going to have a deep dive worksheet to guide you through this process. So if you miss any of this, know that that's there and you can go on our website and get it. Okay. So the first thing you want to do is you're going to make a list of potential partners that fit 
that shared thing, whatever that shared thing is, that philosophy belief, all right, that is going to help you reach a consumer you don't have access to right now. So just make a list, just jot them all down. Then you're going to choose a top three to five, and you're going to consider how well these fit with the following criteria. One is timing. Does the timing of your needs match up with theirs? Like, for example, the NFL season, as, as Sam has to contend with, is only a certain amount of time throughout the year. Now, there's other events, but if you want to do something with the Carolina Panthers, you need to do it generally during in-season. What is the effort? Is this going to be something easy or is this going to take significant work? What's going to be the impact? Is this a short-term or is this a long-term impact? And how big is the impact? And then what's your investment? Will this require significant monetary and or resource investment? Or is this something that you can kind of test and learn on? The next thing is you're going to want to identify a single point of contact that will serve as your conduit to the partner. And in this case, this would be Sam if you're accessing the Carolina Panthers. Really important to find a contact because that is going to help you to negotiate what you want. If you just go through the info at carolinapanthers.com. I don't even know if that's the right thing or whatnot, but um, <laughs> you're, you're going to go into a pile and hopefully somebody will contact you. Try to track down a partner. You can do that through multiple different venues, including LinkedIn. You can look on who um, a lot of times they have contacts in um, their staff that's listed. So be creative, but try to find a person to connect with. And then you're going to construct your pitch. This is going to require you to do your due diligence because for most of our small and mid-sized businesses here who are not the big brands that you know uh, these partners love to court, you may have to convince them that you are a partner that they want to partner with. So you really want to understand and, and, and figure out what your partner is going to want from you. The more you can value exchange and the more you can contextualize what value you're bringing for the partner, the easier this conversation is going to go and the potential you're going to get yes and the potential you're going to get more of what you ask for all right so try to speak you know from personal experience have you in this case have you been to a carolina panthers game what are you noticing what do you see what are the opportunities Uh, and then make a specific ask for what you want okay this is not like a general like what opportunities do you have for me it's like you want to ask for something specific okay that doesn't mean it has to be just that one thing because the partner might come back and say well we have some of this you know and this might not be something you have considered You also want to make sure that you do this in a short initial email or however you choose to connect with them. You don't need to give them two pages. You're not trying to sell them here. You're just trying to hook them to have another conversation about what's possible. And always end with a question that invites a response. Are you interested in discussing if some available Monday from 3 to 5 and Tuesday 9 to 4 Eastern Daylight Time? Let me know what works best for you, right? So it, it already kind of like, play like you've been there or play that you expect that you're going to get it. Um, And that will help the partner see that you are serious about this. Okay. So that just gives you the overview. Like I said, we have a worksheet uh, that's going to put this into more contextual um, detail. We call it the building mutual beneficial partnerships. So take a look for that. But Sam, can you kind of give a little bit of perspective, like how you may work with bigger properties versus the smaller ones? I know like what our clients tend to see, like if they were going to engage like a property like yours and and probably more mid-sized properties as well as like sponsorship packages, which may or may not work. But how should a, um, a small or mid-sized business really think about how to engage with partners? Yeah, I think it's it's interesting um, just hearing you go through kind of bullet by bullet, very you know tactically how 
how you would sell a partner on your brand. Um, whereas we have to, we a lot of times do the opposite um, is we are the ones who are selling them that, you know, they won't get lost in the shuffle that it is, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. they can afford um, a partnership with, you know, with an NFL team, you know, we have, and it's a balance, right? We have the big national brands that are also kind of the league sponsors that then trickle down to, to team partnerships as well. But then we also have kind of, you know, the local HVAC company called Morris Jenkins um, that is, is a partner. And so working with them is very different than working with, you know, the Bud Lights of the world and the, and the PNGs of the world. And so what we talk about a lot is, you know, in, in these small and medium-sized businesses, they need to see, obviously, this is going to be a big chunk of their marketing budgets, right? If not all of it. And so we need to sell them that that's going to, that's going to have a substantial return. So that's kind of what we talk about a lot is, you know, how are we going to make an impact for the, you know, Morris Jenkins in Charlotte with Carolina Panthers fans um, quickly, right? Because that they're going to need to see that return quickly. Whereas maybe, you know, a bigger brand is part of a larger, you know, national strategy that it could just make, you know, a small impact in the market. And that would be good, you know, that would kind of be enough for them um, as far as a return goes, or it could be more of that long-term, you know, brand love. I know, Anne, you love that phrase. So, yep. <laughs> um, so there's, you know, there's, I think on that end, when we talk to small, medium-sized businesses, that's something that we always have to be really cognizant of. And it's, and it's a different strategy. It's a different sales strategy. Um, but I also think is, is use it to your advantage. Um, use, you know, your, cause a lot of these, again, small, medium-sized businesses, they have loyal customers that, you know, you don't find with the bigger brands. They have a real mm-hmm. connection to that company, to that service, to that product. And so how, again, or how is that value being translated to the partner as well? Um, which I think, you know, we can't discount sometimes, obviously the Carolina Panthers brand is huge, but at the same time, we've had some struggles lately. We haven't been the best on the field. We've, Mm -hmm. you know, lost a lot of our big name players. And so, you know, we've also found ourselves saying, how could we better utilize Morris Jenkins, for instance, who has been in the community, is a loved brand. You guys have to Google um, Morris Jenkins commercials, by the way, because it's a, their advertising is like a mainstay in the Carolinas. Um, You know, it's, they're very much known for their advertising. So how do we tap into their value um, to build our brand? And so, you know, mutually beneficial you know, we've, we've really been talking about that a lot as we put together these sponsorship packages. It's not just, you know, how do we sell ourselves? It's how do we make this work hard for us as well? Yeah, I think that's really smart. I mean, when I think about brands like, you know, Bud Light or P&G and, you know, when they're in stadiums, they kind of take over, right? Like they're very close to secondary to the team itself. But I think the point you make is important and really now more important than ever. I mean, you mentioned having, you know, not doing well on the field. Well, what about a year where we're not even playing football, right? Mm-hmm. Or, you know, where there we can't have stands in the stadium. Like those are all pivotal moments for any brand and any company 
to stop and take a look and say, okay, this was unexpected for everybody. And I think you've done a nice job with this, Sam, throughout the year of identifying those opportunities that are only going to come around this one time and really building more meaningful connections than just like, oh, it's a Bengals game or, you know, for you, a Panthers game. And I'm going to have six beers while I'm there and it's going to be Bud Light, right? I mean, that's a little bit more transactional and surface level versus some of these things where you can really embrace these partners and they can have a response reciprocal effect, positive halo on you, like you talk about with Morris Jenkins. Yeah. And and again, it's, you know, it's their unique brand. You know, mm-hmm. they have mm-hmm. a specific brand voice. They have, they have a loyal customer base. So how do we tap into that in a year where, you know, our reputation isn't that great? We have a lot of change. A lot of, you know, people are going to mm-hmm switch teams or, or looks, look elsewhere, how do we tap into that loyalty and that, that localized, um, you know, how do you make a big brand show up locally and in, you know, a specific way? Yeah. And I think for all you guys listening, um, Sam gave you the golden question and, um, I'll reiterate it just so you guys hear it. She said, how do I quickly see impact? That should be the question that you all are asking whenever you're with a partner and make sure that they answer it mm-hmm. <laughs> because a lot of times, a lot of partners, um, will not. I mean, Sam, I, I mean, I, we go way back and I know it has tons of integrity and she will and she'll answer that question directly if you're going to do something with her organization. But a lot of people will skirt around it. So make sure you you ask that question and make sure you get a very specific answer. And also the right size your expectations, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> yep. I, I think is something that I would say as well as, you know, Branded content doesn't necessarily mean you're going to sell 20,000 more bottles of Tide laundry detergent, right? Or Tide pods, um, <laughs> right? And so right. I think what we t- what we talked about a lot in our conversations was getting to the root of what is, what is the potential impact of branded content and how do you maximize that? Because you can achieve other, you know, other means of investments, um, in other ways, what specifically can branded content on these partners channels or with the partner achieve for your brand? And a lot of times it's that emotional connection. It is that, um, you know, that, that brand love, that kind of longer term, um, you know, longer term impact. And I think again, you know, and we used to, again, we did so much research on this to try to really show how this is how that is happening. And, you know, we did research studies on that. We asked fans which brands they saw, Mm -hmm. um, how do they feel about them? You know, are they, is it driving purchase intent, right? That's a, that's another big buzzword, buzzwords that we use a lot. So I think again, right sizing your expectations for what this is going to achieve. You know, obviously the partnership as a whole is going to achieve something different than maybe, you know, a branded content campaign. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think you hit on another question that um, a lot of people ask, which is how do I know that the investment is worth it, right? And this is where you go back up to that that decision criteria and you ask yourself the 
what is more important to you, the short-term or long-term impact. And a lot of times the partnerships are more of a longer burn. They're more based on continuing to show up on a regular basis so that a fan recognizes you as being a partner with this property. And usually one time is not going to do it. But if you can show continued loyalty, a lot of times that pays off in the long run. But it's not something you see like on Monday, the day after game day, unless you, you know, are Taco Bell and you are actually like, you know, driving the actual engagement through a certain mechanism. Now, that works too for them, and that's totally fine. And they're hoping that once you try it once, that you're they're going to get some new people who are going to like you know Taco Bell and they're going to continue to come back or see different reasons or different occasions for eating Taco Bell, fine. But that is a really important point, and I think that's really, really important, um, Sam, the point that you brought up for people to consider. Is, you know, when you, you think about short-term investment, I always use... Um, Kind of the, the the general formula of like okay if I'm putting in this much money how many new customers do I need to get in mm-hmm. order to pay this off right and that is kind of gives you through the gut check if you need you know a, a gazillion and you you need to invest a ton in order to get that the the formula may be a little off but if you need like a handful it may be worthwhile right but that's only if the mechanism is specifically geared toward that. Most of the time, as you pointed out, it's just going to be a longer burn. It's going to be more of an equity build. It's going to be more of a brand love build. And both are really highly impactful for your business. You just have to decide what's more important for you in that moment, making sure you choose the right partner that's going to deliver it for you. One other trend that we're really seeing a lot is um, our partners are more and more interested in just leads. They want to use Mm -hmm. our partnership to drive leads. And you know, in my world, I'm like, what value are you going to to provide those fans in order to earn it? And mm-hmm. so, you know, whether it's a contest, whether it's you put content behind a wall that then people have to mm-hmm. give you the information to do, is that content even worth it? Um, so I think that's also something that we've seen a lot of is it really looking at what do you need out of the partnership? And then the different types of content you can do to achieve it. And that's, I think, where we've we've started to get more and more creative around, again, putting things behind a wall, um, creating a live, you know, live content opportunities. So whether mm-hmm. it's a panel or, a, you know, even something something in person or via Zoom type of thing, we, we always think about that. And that's something that, again, you're going to have different types of content are going to achieve different things. And a lot of times partners come to come to us and say, we want one piece of content to achieve everything that we need out of the partnership. And that's not how it works. Right. So that's some that's a conversation that we have on the daily. That is, yes, a really, really good point because lead generation is a definite mechanism, but you need to figure out, okay, what are you going to do with those leads once you get them too? So <laughs> you don't leave those leads right. hanging. <laughs> All right. Our fourth and final in the trenches question. And Sam, I'm going to let you take this one. What are the biggest mistakes you have seen clients make when doing branded content? There have been a lot, um, (laughs) I would say. (laughs) I mean, how long is this podcast? Um, But, you know, I think one of the biggest things that I see is, is not, is not really answering the question of why are people going to care about it? Mm -hmm, Why are people mm going to care about your brand in this moment with this, you know, with this partner. And so, and we talk a lot about, you know, in in the content model, right. It's people need to watch, share, 
um, engage with it in order to for it to achieve anything or go anywhere. So we always talk about, you know, how are people going to react? Are you are you going to cause an action? Are you going to keep people around to even see your message um, and understand it? So I think that that's one of one of the biggest things. I also think that you know the balance between your brand and the partner's brand mm-hmm. it is very delicate, and I think that you know a lot of times you know, this is, this is a really big, you know, we talked about the tension. This, this is one of the biggest tensions is that, you know, brand wants their logo bigger, their mm-hmm. end card, their, you know, verbal mention bugs on the content, everything. And where, you know, we try to have the data to, to have the conversation around, you know, actually, if you do all of that, you know, if you overly brand it with your brand instead of ours, you know, you're going to lose people. Mm-hmm. And so we have, you know, very specific kind of guidelines that we've come up that we've that we've come up with through a lot of our kind of tests and learns around how branded should this content be. And, and, you know, we have a we have a a rule that right now is is in discussion but we don't tag brands in copy during the game mm-hmm. we have we'll tag brands in copy you know on non game days and and you know kind of any other day however on game day you know, we make sure we will tag you in a photo. We will tag you in the video. We will do the paid partner tag. You know, obviously this is specific for social media, but, you know, having guidelines like that, that are, that is backed up by data that shows that our performance will suffer and your brand, you know, whether it's overly branded and, but nobody sees it, that's not going to achieve anything for anybody. So that's just kind of one example of, you know, a guideline that we have put into place there to, put a foot in the ground, right? And I think that that's that's something that both brands need to do of what they need to achieve and what they how they want to show up and then also the partner has to have those guidelines so that you guys can work together to to find that balance. Well, I'm sure it has to be a challenge for you to use whatever metrics or proof points you have because there's so many different goals and KPIs and asks of people, not to mention types of content and multiple pieces across all the games. I have to imagine it's a tough thing to be able to craft that story the right way and then sell it in as credible to the partners that they believe what you're saying versus just trying to serve yourself. And I'm sure Mm -hmm. I'm just, you're like probably nodding your head like, yeah, duh. But I mean, I was was just internalizing as you were going through and kind of your point about leaving everybody a little bit mad at the end of the day. It feels like it's got to be a pretty big puzzle to make it all work together. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think just one one other thing that I think, you know, brands also make the mistake is that they rely too much on the partner to mm-hmm. amplify, mm-hmm. to to push out the message. And I think we've seen some great success on brands that, you know, they'll work with us on the partnership, we'll help create content um, with them, but then, you know, and then they'll have a PR strategy around that content. They'll, you know, have, you know, they'll be able to amplify even more. Mm. Um, and so I think sometimes, you have to remember an NFL team. Yes, we are an NFL team. However, our main job is to cover the team and, and engage our fans. And so we're not built 
to be an agency. We're mm-hmm. not, I mean, currently, mm-hmm. I mean, we're definitely headed in that direction, but we're not built to be your PR agency, to be your marketing agency. So we're, we're your partner. <laughs> so I think sometimes they forget that a little bit is that, you know, they rely too much on us to do the PR outreach to do. And obviously we help with that and can connect them. However, we've seen real, a lot of success when the organization gets behind it themselves, when the brand gets behind it themselves and is able to push it out even more. Yeah, that is a really good point, a very good point, and a little bit nuanced from, you know, just to go back to the point we were saying before about maximizing your partner's channels, but I think you added the other side of that, which um, is also really important, which is making sure you do amplify on your own and you don't just rely on the partner's channel. So I'm glad you brought that up so that I can make sure that I covered both sides of that coin. So that was a very good point. All right. And our third and final segment is a real world example of a brand is doing this well or not so well. And, you know, this case, we have a brand that's doing it really well. And Sam, we're going to let you take this one just to add anything that you would want to uh, add on in addition to um, what we've talked about with regards to the Panthers or maybe um, other projects you're working on. And don't forget to tell people how they can find you. Yeah, absolutely. I know we've talked a lot about the Carolina Panthers, but um, increasingly my job um, also involves our new MLS soccer team, um, Charlotte Football Club or Charlotte FC. And, you know, we had an interesting, you know, this timeline of getting the team. There was so much buzz around uh, the city as we were bidding for an MLS team. Then we won the team. Then we didn't have a name. Then, you know, we had to push back our, then we had to push back actually playing a year because of COVID. So there's been this kind of, we're kind of been in limbo with this MLS team um, a lot. And so actually though, you know, before, you know, the head of MLS announced that Charlotte FC would be an, an, an actual team that's coming, that's coming. We signed on a partner in Ally Bank. And they were ready to get behind it, get behind us from, from the very beginning. And so they're called our founding partner. Mm-hmm. And their whole idea was from the beginning, even before the beginning, for the fans and for the community. And so we've worked really hard with them to have all these different touch points and to continue the, mo- the momentum of a new-to-market brand. Um, you know, first, first off, you know, we were able to do an event when we launched the brand and we, we were able to celebrate, um, we were able to celebrate getting a team with them in person, but then it had, then it switched to all virtual. Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. so creating a fan base out of nothing, um, with, with this partner, with ally, uh, we were able to do really cool things, everything from, you know, live shows at home that they, that they were, um, they were our presenting partner to, we created these play at home kits with, um, with ally where we, where we created these, you know, soccer kits for, um, for kids throughout the community. We had these really unique fan portrait, um, sessions that ally was a part of that they were able to, we were able to bring fans to the stadium to take, pictures in front of the TIFO, which you weren't allowed to do. So we were giving these fans um, something brand new that they could never do. We also created a long form content series with them. um, That was Charlotte America's next soccer city. Mm -hmm. And it was, again, it was all about how ally was literally helping us 
get a team because one of the components of a bid for a team is corporate backing. They mm-hmm. want to make sure that not yeah. only do you, are you going to have the fans show up, but you're going to have the support of the corporate community. And so, you know, they were, they were in a meeting with, you know, with the MLS saying, we're going to support this team even before it was announced that we got a team. So really, again, reiterating that they were there from the beginning and even before the beginning and how, and all the different touch points that we've had with them before we, we haven't even played on the field yet. We, we don't have, we don't play until next year. So it's been a really unique partnership in the way that we've been able to, again, have all these different touch points with this brand um, and still not even have a team yet. I think we have a few players (laughs) (laughs) that we don't even have a coach yet. So (laughs) it's been, you know, again, it's, it's a very unique situation that I think we've, um, you know, Ally had a brand before we did. And so we were utilizing their reputation as a, you know, digital first banking company, right. That is disruptive in their category and the end who our MLS fan base is going to be. And it really matched up with who we were trying to target with this team and, and, and build the brand with. So again, a very unique situation that, I think, you know, we'll continue to find ways to keep reiterating that partnership and and keep providing value to to our fans in the community. Well, and I think it'll be interesting, too, to see how that founder relationship stands out, transforms, continues to build. Because like Mm -hmm. you said, you haven't done anything yet. You will be bringing other brands into that stadium, I'm sure. But it'll be interesting Mm -hmm. to watch how a founder that was done with that much intention and with that much faith, quite honestly, in a brand that didn't exist yet, continues to be able to work with your brand once the soccer season starts and the focus is there versus on Ally as the hero, if you will, at this at this moment in time. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Exactly. So, so yeah. So if you follow the Carolina Panthers on any social media, you follow Charlotte FC on any social media and you see a brand show up, chances are I have been involved in, in, in that content, (laughs) in that activation, in that campaign. Um, it's exhausting, but it is especially fulfilling. So please check out those channels. Please follow us. Um, and then, you know, personally myself, I am active on Twitter. Um, and my handle is at Sam a bear B is in boy, a I E R. I know there's a lot of vowels in there. (laughs) Um, but you know, I think for me, I really love to chat with folks around, you know, best practices, unique activations, um, you know, different ways that branded content is happening to come up with, you know, I, I steal a lot of ideas from other places. And so I love, you know, connecting with folks using the hashtag SM sports. I'm constantly looking for inspiration. Um, So would love to hear from listeners would love to hear about, you know, inspiration can come from anywhere. It's not just sports. So um, thank you guys so much for having me. Thank you so much, Sam, for being with us and giving us such a fabulous account of this topic um and uh we look forward to following the the panthers as well as charlotte fc so and to all of our listeners um go exercise your marketing smarts still need help in growing your marketing smarts contact us through our website forthright-people.com mention you heard about us here and we will give you a free 30-minute consultation 
You can also share any topics you want us to cover, which helps us give real-world support to our listeners in real time. And if you learned something impactful, please share with a friend and don't forget to leave a rating and review on your favorite platform. Now, go show off your marketing smarts. <laughs>